This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, TCU tried to run the football and play defense against Colorado. It didn't work. Colorado with a thrilling 45-42 win over TCU in week one. Nebraska in week two rushed only four defensive players. Dropped a whole bunch of players into coverage. Created some confusion. Had some success. But ultimately, didn't work. Quarterback play wasn't there. Not enough run game. Nebraska became the second victim for Coach Prime. Colorado State's trying something new. Something never before done. Colorado State coach Jay Norvell is poking the bear. I said yesterday, Dan Lanning needs to be really careful to spend the run-up to week four talking about his team and not engaging in a tit-for-tat, so to speak, with Coach Prime. You're not going to win that one, I don't think. But Jay Norvell's trying it. I'll just let his words speak. Let me just turn that on up. That's on my end, Stephen, not yours. You know, we had to do a bunch of ESPN videos, and that's great. I loved it. And and uh, But our kids came out of those videos really with a chip on their shoulder. They're tired of all that stuff. They really are tired of it. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. So... You know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. And so I, that's just how I feel about it. And so I don't mean to take over the show, but it's your show. I'm just tired of – I mean, I'm tired of all that stuff. It's just it's, – it's, and I know everybody else is too. So um, let's go play. There it is. He's poking the bear on his coach's show. Is this – the work of a madman. Is this wise? Will it work? He has uh, put some of the put some of the emphasis, I guess, some of the attention back at Colorado. And again, this is an in-state rivalry. Coach Prime at practice today, talking and saying it's personal. I'm minding my own business, watching some film, trying to get ready, trying to get out here and be the best coach I could be. And I look up and I read some bull junk that Dan said about us. Talk to us. Once again, uh, talk to us. why would you want to talk about us when we don't talk about nobody? All we do is go out here, work our butts off, and do our job on Saturday. But when they give us ammunition, 
They done messed around and made it what? It was just gonna be a good game. They done messed around and made it personal. It was gonna be a great test, a battle of Colorado, but they done messed around and made it personal. I love it. He made it personal. This feels like a UFC news conference in front of a football game. I kind of like that Jay Norvell did it. I, I don't think it's wise, but I kind of like that he did it. And I kind of feel like Colorado State, like if anybody, if anybody's tired of hearing all this stuff about Colorado, how great they are, how they've reinvented the game, how they have changed uh, the landscape of college football, how they have made athletic directors nationally kind of take notice that, you know, if you can find a coach that can grab control the transfer portal, uh, you will position yourself uh, in a in a get-rich-quick way to matter in college football. And, uh, you know, if Colorado State, uh, if you had any doubt that Colorado State had heard enough about Colorado, you got it today as Jane Norvell went public with it. Now, We'll see how it goes. We'll see if he has turned the focus back to Colorado and creates a distraction of some kind. I was going to say Dan Lanning should just lay up and, uh, and not say anything more after kind of spitting some truth, saying, hey, what have they won? And I think Dan Lanning can lean into that and go, hey, I'm just being honest. Like, they really haven't won anything. They haven't mattered. They haven't been a factor in the conference. But Jay Norvell, an in-state rival, doing it and Calling out Coach Prime is basically, you know, he wears his sunglasses and his hat to the news conference, basically saying that Coach Prime is classless and that he wasn't raised right. Because Jay Norvell says, hey, I was raised. My mom, my mom taught me how to, you know, this is the way. I think it's going to be really interesting now to see how many more eyeballs that game will draw. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if it works at all. I think it's going to be closer than expected, but not because Jay Norvell talked. I think it's going to be closer than expected because the point spread's like 23.5 points. And I think Colorado State is going to show up, you know, with a chip on its shoulder. But now they've placed a chip on Colorado's shoulder. Do you poke the bear? Is this good? Is this a wise move? 503-417-7575. I want you to tell me that. Because we're going to see this play out a couple times during the season. We're going to see Jonathan Smith take his approach. Anybody raise a hand? Anybody think Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, is going to call out Coach Prime and say, I was raised different and my mom taught me to take off my hat and take off my sunglasses when I go to do an interview? I don't think so. I think Jonathan Smith is going to let a sleeping dog lie. He's going to say it's a great team, they played well, they have changed college football, I have nothing but respect for them, and then he's going to try to show up and have his team act like a sledgehammer that knocks Colorado over. Dan Lanning taking a different approach weeks ago, you know, calling out Colorado and essentially just saying, hey, you know, not a big loss to the conference. Uh, as Colorado uh, had announced that it was going to the Big 12, Dan Lanning just saying, you know, as we all know, what, what has Colorado done? What have they won? Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. Do you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. There you go. Stephen Vaughn. Is Jay Norvell wise to poke the bear? Well, as we do in 2023, John, as soon as someone says something, we check receipts. And we go and we look to see if Jay Norvell has ever talked to the media or any grown-up wearing a hat and shades. <laughs> 
Um, and my little research that I've done, I cannot find him wearing shades in any interview that he's done, but he wears a visor. A visor. A visor. So does that count as a hat? I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I want to say I, I don't mind it. I, I think it's entertaining. I think Jay Norvell knows what he's doing by what by what he's saying, and I think he's taking the pressure off of the kids a little bit, and he's putting it all on himself. Uh, I think Jay Norvell is actually a really good coach. He used to coach in Nevada when they yeah. when they were rolling. They were uh, good. They were really good. And I, I think he's taking the pressure off of the players and put it on himself because there's so much talk about this game. You mm. know, game day is going to be there. Fox is going to be there. The Rock's going to be there. Kevin Hart is going to be there. I mean, it's going to be celebrities everywhere. He's taking it all off the players and saying, look, guys, I'm going to take all this pressure from you. Just go on the field and play, execute our game plan, and maybe we can stay in this ballgame. So I, I do like what Jay Norvell is doing because I think – that you know, when you're an underdog, you can do this type of thing. I think it's different if it's Dan Lanning, and you're talking about that as well. Like if Dan Lanning does this, if there, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to stoop to that level of Colorado. They should win that game anyways. No one's believing in Colorado State, so you know what? Us against the us against the world. That's what they're doing. They're playing it, and you knew Dion was going to start you know talking about it as soon as he heard this. But I like it, John. I like what Jay Norvell's doing. We're going to give our picks. Later in the program, we'll uh, double down on them tomorrow as we lock them in. But I, I'm looking at this game, and look, it's a 7 o'clock game on ESPN. The game will not kick off till 7 o'clock. So this is a late Saturday game on ESPN and a brand-new approach from Jay Norvell. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, I and I've talked about this a lot. Like, I do think those in-state rivalry games where you have Washington and Washington State, Oregon and Oregon State, uh, Indiana, Indiana State, even. Uh, I think any of those in-state games, Florida, Florida State, where you have two in-state teams that are playing, they get sick of each other. They get sick of hearing about each other. They get sick of recruiting against each other. There's uh, Often there's bad blood if the coaches are there long enough. I think sometimes in football the coaches turn over so fast that there's not enough time for it to develop bad blood and you know, it's not like Colorado and Colorado State are recruiting against each other. That Oregon's recruiting against Colorado. USC's recruiting against Colorado. And to some extent, like Washington and Oregon State and Utah are, are recruiting against Colorado. So I think there's a propensity there for more competition from the recruiting standpoint. And I do think Dan Lanning's comments were rooted in recruiting. Like he was basically just stel- telling anybody who's considering, uh, you know, an offer at Colorado, hey, what have they won? They haven't done anything. Like, that's not a program that has mattered. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see this game. It's a 23-and-a-half-point spread. Colorado's favored. I think Colorado State's going to play within that spread. I don't see them winning this game, but I think they're in this game. And I'm just – I either this is the smartest thing ever or it's the dumbest thing ever. And I guess I don't blame Jay Norvell for trying something. Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575. Sean is in Vancouver. Sean, what do you think? Hey there, John. Hope you and your family are well. Um, so, number one, I've got to agree that that was some uh, not-so-stellar trash talk, if that's what you were trying to do, because, uh, okay, you were taught to take off your hat and sunglasses. I, I, don't see, I don't see the relevance, but, you know, if he's made it about him instead of his kids, he's also made it about Dion instead of his kids. But, you know, he, I, I listened to... Rich Eisen, and he had a great take on this, which is, you know, a lot of these kids, you, you know, Dion's got his own kids playing there, and a lot of these kids, Dion's are a, a father figure for them, and they're not going to take kindly, you know, you want to talk trash about the program, you want to talk trash about them, but talk trash about their father figure or their father, and, you know, Dion's got two stout kids on both sides of the ball, 
I just don't think it's wise to poke the bear. I think we're going to find out how wise it is. What was Jay Norvell saying? Stephen, what was he What was he really saying? I think he was saying, I'm tired of seeing Deion Sanders on every single show. I'm, we're tired of seeing Colorado everywhere when we talk about college football. I don't think it was necessarily about the hat and the glasses. I, I think that's the silliest part. But I think what he's saying is, is like, look, you know, Deion, it's kind of like what Dan Lane said. What does Colorado actually want? Has Dion actually won anything big time on the big time college football? He's 2-0. and Like, let's not act like he's the best coach in the nation as of yet. And that's all we're hearing about. So I think... I think it's just that kind of stuff, you know, and and again, I don't blame Jaden Overall for doing this. I don't think it's about the hat or the shades. It's just he's tired of hearing about Dion, and he wants to get this game on the field because I feel like he thinks he has a chance in this one. Roy is in Portland. Roy, is this wise by Jay Norvell? I love everything Jay Norvell. Hello. Yeah, go ahead, Roy. Hey, John, I love everything Jay Norvell did, man. This is This is the greatest thing, man. Finally. Somebody had the guts to stand up and stop kissing Dion's butt. I'm sick of it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you, Jay, because what has this dude done? I mean, he getting talked. Colorado's getting talked about more than Georgia. We, we lost one game in two years, and the back-to-back national champion going for our third national. But we can't hear nothing about Georgia. It's all about Dion, who hasn't done anything but won two games. And now you've got the, the, the hangers on, the rock, and, 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 and Hollywood jumping in. I mean, like, come on, man. He, to me, John, I'm telling you, he took the fun out of the college football season this year for me, Dion did, and Colorado, the whole thing. They took the fun out of it for me, for real. I mean, I was all looking forward to this season, man, and everything. You can't get rest, John. Every time I turn the TV on, it's Dion. He every, I swear, I watched the Colorado-Nebraska uh, <laughs> game, and he was in every single commercial. He was in the Aflac commercial. He was in the Wendy's commercial. Every commercial was great. He was in – I'm trying to – who is behind this? And what, I mean, I, he's getting more coverage than Nick Saban. I mean, what, what is going on? I mean, he hasn't done a thing to get this, to deserve it. And I know Mike from Portland is listening. Okay, I know you're listening, Mike. I know you don't. You know, I know you don't like that. I don't like Dion, but that's fine, man. Can I ask you Thank something, you Roy? Can I ask you something? Because Jane Orville is is black, and Dion Sanders is black. Do you think a white coach could have said what Norvell said? Uh, John, I was saying the same thing. I was saying the same thing. I said, man, come on, Dion, you almost 60 years old. Why are you sitting up there with a hoodie on and sunglasses? Nobody would take that from anybody else. Come on, that's not professional, man. I mean, did you ever see Michael Jordan, as great as he was, coming out with a hoodie on? Michael Jordan said, this is what Michael Jordan said. He said, after the game, I always made a point to dress my best and always look good because I know I got a lot of fans. And this could be the only time somebody may see me, and I want to make a good impression. You never saw him out, out, out there acting like that. Come on, man, Dion. I mean, have some class, man. And they don't, I don't think it has nothing to do with black or white. Yeah. Stop acting like a grown teenager. And I understand, you know, man, take the glasses off. You know, be be, be respectful. To me, that's a sign of disrespect, man. You know, I mean, and and I, and I know it was. I know he said about the glasses, and, and I yep. know what you guys were saying. I think he's just fed up with it too, like like I am too. All right, come on. If if Dion go out in the field and beats USC, or I say Dion, you have you one of the greatest coaches ever. He hasn't done anything to get this praise. Only three reason people are doing it because he's Dion. But that doesn't, you know, what they, they don't they don't. Deserve, I mean, people on a 
uh, uh, people saying this is the greatest skip, baby. This is the greatest coaching job ever in the history of college football. Are you kidding me, man? Are you kidding me? So, I mean, I think it's I think it's too much. I'm tired of it. I'm trying to get tickets to the Oregon Colorado games like a bullet. <laughs> okay, I, I, I really, I really, I, I really don't. I think you know. This is one of the greatest Pac-12 seasons ever, and I hate that the Pac-12 is going away because this season is and, – and it got me to thinking, like, man, did, did they really have to split up the conference? If they would have just waited just a little bit longer, I mean, I, with the There's way the season great is going – great theater. Great theater. I, I, I just don't – I still don't understand why the conference is splitting up, man. This is one of the – I think the back, Pac-12 is better than the SEC. Whoa. From top to bottom. The top SEC to bottom. Top to bottom, SEC. yes. Top to bottom, yes. But I, I still wonder, Roy, if the Pac-12 can get a playoff team. And and the SEC is going to have a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, they'll have a playoff. I think, you know, I think Oregon and Washington, and you, I think I think all three of those teams could. And Utah. They could. They could. I think all, all those teams can beat probably, I'm going to say probably everybody in the SEC except for Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, I think I think Utah, Washington, and Oregon can beat half of the SEC this year. I, I don't. I, 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 and USC. I'm sorry. I think all four of those teams could be in the top half of the SEC. Appreciate it, Roy in Portland. I'm I'm wondering because Jane Orell is black, Dion is black. I do think if a white coach had said, my mother taught me and said what Jay Norvell said, I think it would be construed differently. I think it's an interesting study. I think Norvell's given it back. He's had about enough of hearing about Coach Prime and Colorado. I think he sees a team on film that's got some flaws. It's why I think Colorado State's going to play within that 23.5, 24.5 points. I I think that's like a ten point game, Stephen. I I still think Colorado's probably going to win it, but I think it's a closer game than than people expect. And certainly with Oregon looming, if Colorado looks at all ahead, their in state rivals uh, may throw a sucker punch. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think if it was Matt Rule that made that comment last week, um, it would be misconstrued in a different type of way. No matter what it would mean. Um, yes, but I, I do agree with that. And and but you know, with that being said, you know, Jay Norvell, I think he's just so tired of Dion. It, it was funny because Roy is on the phone um, talking about all the commercials Dion in. I look up, I see a California Almonds commercial with Dion Sanders in it. Like right at that moment, as he was saying that, he was on the on my TV. Just talking about California almonds. So like he's everywhere. And like I like Dion. I like Dion coming in. I think it's I think he has a cool personality. I, I don't mind the, the shades or the or the hoodie. Like I think he looks cool. I think it's awesome. Um but you know what? I love what Jay Norvell's doing as well. Like he's giving it back to Dion and saying, Look, man, I, I've grinded in this in this uh coaching industry for years. I'm at Colorado State still, but like we're not afraid of you guys. We see some things on film that can keep it close. So I'm with you. I, I'm agree with you with all these things right here. I think Colorado State can keep this game somewhat close. Colorado will win eventually, but I would uh, I would take Colorado State plus. The this will not be a pushover win for no. Colorado. They will not run away with this game, and part of it will be I think Colorado State is going to show up and fly around I, like I also, this is their Super Bowl. There's yeah. There's also um, Colorado State has 24 guys on their team on scholarship from the state of Colorado. Colorado has 12 guys, but only two of them are on scholarship from the mm. state of Colorado. So I think this does mean a lot to them. It's one of those games where, you know what, this school doesn't want you. You're at Colorado State now. Come prove why you, why you deserve to be in the Pac-12.
It's interesting, too, because, you know, I like, I forget whether I like Deion Sanders' act or not. I was going to say I like it. I don't, you know, it's fun. It, is it good for college football? Yes. Is it good for the Pac-12 Conference? Yes. Is it good for Colorado University? Absolutely. They have drafted to the front of the line from the back of the, like, they were, like, school number 112, and now they're in front of the pack leading the peloton, right? You know, they're leading the Tour de France. they got the yellow jersey on, and everybody's looking at him going, hey, how, how did they get up there? Well, it, you know, it was Deion Sanders. It was Coach Prime. And his post-game interviews, his pre-game interviews, his practice interviews, it's all great theater. It's all designed to be promotional. And you kind of got to know that, that that's the animal that you're dealing with. He is a different kind of promotional animal. And... Dan Lanning's got his own shtick. Jonathan Smith's got his own act. Jay Norvell has his as well. I just don't know. I don't know if it's brilliant or dumb to poke the bear. And I think it's smart because Colorado's not that good. And I think if Colorado, two years from now, when they get depth, when they get better players on the offensive and defensive line, that might be a dumb thing to do, to call him out and say, you know, my mom raised me right. I take off my hat and my sunglasses for interviews. He doesn't. You know, uh, but I think right now, probably the safest time for Jay Norvell to make that comment because I think he's got the best chance he he has at at, at you know getting a win over Colorado. And listen again. You know, we had to do a bunch of ESPN videos, and it was great. I loved it. And and uh, but our kids came out of those videos really with a chip on their shoulder. They're tired of all that stuff. They really are tired of it. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. <laughs> so, you know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. And so I, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. And so I don't mean to take over the show, but it's your show. I'm just tired of <laughs> I mean, I'm tired of all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's, and I know everybody else is too. So, um, let's go play. There it is. You hear the cheering in the background. You know, he's at a restaurant or a public forum where they've got a bunch of, you know, Colorado State fans who are also probably sick and tired of hearing about Colorado. Uh, we got a great show for you today. Up next, we're going to go to San Diego where John Schaefer of 760 AM is going to give us the scouting report on San Diego State. And he'll talk a little bit about UCLA. I taped an interview with Schaefer just before the show today. I want to play it for you. Really interesting to hear his mindset and the viewpoint from Southern California on the potential for a reverse merger with Oregon State and Washington State taking in schools like San Diego State. John Schaefer from San Diego next. Well, Oregon State on Saturday will be playing at home at Racer Stadium against San Diego State. Uh, we can talk uh, a lot about these games and the predictions I have for the games, but check this out. Um, the Beavers have covered the point spread in nine straight football games, dating back to last season. In their last 15, Oregon State is 13-2 and against the spread. Stephen, 13-2 and against the spread, that's, uh, that's easy money. It really is. I mean, uh, if you've been on, and you've been on that for most of them, going back to the last season, like Oregon State has been undervalued, you know, in the market for a while now. I think people are starting to catch up a little bit. This point spread is a little interesting, but even this one, I think uh, Portland State or Portland State, Oregon State uh, has a big advantage over San Diego State. Oregon State favored by twenty-four and a half 
currently at Reeser Stadium. By the way, Reeser Stadium is a tough place to play. Uh, Oregon State is 13-1 and uh, straight up in their last 14 games on their home field. Uh, Jonathan Smith's team will be uh, hosting San Diego State. Uh, what's at stake for Oregon State? Well, uh, Oregon State uh, would like to go to Pullman in Week 4 to open conference play with a 4-0 record. I think, or 3-0 record. That, of course, would be uh, uh, a very important thing to be ranked, to be 3-0, to be sitting pretty in the polls and sitting pretty uh, unblemished, feeling good about yourself, heading to Pullman against a, a Washington State team that should also be 3-0. and uh, I sat down with John Schaefer. He is uh, the host of Afternoon Drive Show in San Diego, Sports 760. Our shows air at the same time. So I taped with him right before our show. And the question that I asked John Schaefer that I'll start with here is, I said, hey, look, we know what's at stake for Oregon State, but what's at stake for San Diego State, John Schaefer? For San Diego State, I mean, you, you got to remember, I think when they head into a year, all, all of this is gravy. I mean, all their success they've had in the non-conference in the last decade, you know, at the end of the day, in the group of five, it's very challenging, right, to put yourself in a position even to get to a New Year's Six game even with success in the non-conference. San Diego State needs to put themselves in position to buy for a Mountain West title, and they actually open on a short week, which is pretty interesting. They'll play Boise State on a Friday night in San Diego next Friday, so six days after this game in Corvallis. So what's at stake for San Diego State is, listen, you need to make progress. That's what you want to do, but you absolutely have to stay healthy, and you need to put yourself in a position where you can beat Boise State at home. They open with Boise State and Air Force in the Mountain West. Those are the two teams picked in the preseason at one and two, respectively. You split those games, you put yourself in a position where you can get to a Mountain West championship game. But that's what's most critical. I think be healthy, be competitive, and put yourself in a position where you can win potentially next Friday night against Boise State at home. John Schaefer, Sports 760 in San Diego is our guest. There's been a lot of talk about a reverse merger. What would Oregon State look like in the Mountain West? You know, that's happening on our end. What is happening on your end with that kind of discussion? You know, uh, we had J.D. Wicker, San Diego State's athletic director, with us on the pregame show this past weekend before the UCLA game. He was back on San Diego Sports 760 yesterday with our midday show, the Darren Smith Show. And I think he said on bo- in both conversations that he values the Pac-12 brand. Um, and I think he also said with Darren Smith, our midday show yesterday, he will meet with Scott Barnes. There'll be some time with Scott Barnes this weekend of Oregon State. So I think, obviously, everyone's acutely aware of what's going on, and I don't know if anyone knows exactly how it's all going to come to be. Is it going to be Oregon State and Washington State with the 12 teams in the Mountain West under the umbrella of the Pac-12, or will it be the Mountain West? Or is there a scenario where it's just a portion of the schools from the Mountain West joining Oregon State and Washington State because the the Pac-12 with those two schools somehow is able to expand and maybe add schools from the Mountain West and or the American and or other leagues. But I think everything's a possibility. I personally, and I'm just probably speaking out of turn, I find it hard to imagine that Oregon State and Washington State aren't playing games with San Diego State in the very near future. I want to say the Aztecs have Washington State on the non-conference schedule next year in San Diego. They have Oregon State this upcoming weekend. But I'd personally be very surprised if San Diego State, Oregon State, and Washington State weren't quote-unquote dance partners moving forward to some extent here in the 2020s. Give me an idea if, you know, uh, you know, step out of your shoes as a media member. I know it's hard for me to do that as well, <laughs> but, you know, how much enthusiasm for the Pac-12 brand does the average San Diego State fan have now? Is it Does it still hold some appeal to the fan base? I think it does. It's obviously changed. I mean, San Diego is, you know, an amazing market for, for West Coast football, and that's, I think, what made it all the more 
um, unfortunate, right? I mean, San Diego's, you know, one of the largest cities in the country. It's the second largest city in the state of California. People forget it's larger than San Francisco. It's not the quote-unquote media market. And I think sometimes you get a little caught up with it. I mean, if, if Tijuana and San Diego is the same city, this is like the third biggest media market or fourth biggest media market in the country. And then they don't get credit, San Diego, for Orange County, but Los Angeles County does, and both counties touch. Orange County. So, you know, this is this has obviously been a very good Pac-12 market with alumni from SC and UCLA, Stanford and Cal littered throughout San Diego County. So I think that there's still appeal. I really do believe that. I know J.D. Wicker feels that way. It's different, obviously. I mean, everything's going to be different moving forward. And who knows how long it'll be like this before it changes again in a handful of years. But I do think there's value and I still think there's a path where you put the right programs together and there's a level of success they can enjoy in the next iteration of college football and the expanded playoff. John Schaefer with us, uh, 760 in San Diego. All right, finally on uh, the game taking place at Research Stadium, things didn't go well against UCLA. First of all, can I ask you what you thought of UCLA, Dante Moore? How did they look to you? I thought they looked really good. I mean, we saw them in 2019 in the Rose Bowl, and they looked nothing like that. I mean, they have a clear identity. They're big running backs. Their physicality, their edge rushers were really impressive. Dante Moore looks just under control. He was very comfortable. He made very few mistakes. The one mistake he made, the Aztecs couldn't capitalize on. He, they recovered a fumble at the one-yard line and couldn't score. But um, he looked very good. He only ended up playing three quarters in the game because they didn't need more out of him. So I think UCLA has vastly improved, but then again, the entire league is vastly improved, so we'll see what that means on the football field. All right, finally, San Diego State, uh, you know, what do they need to go right at Research Stadium to be in this game with Oregon State? Yeah, I, you know, I think if they can force a turnover or two, which is tough to do against Oregon State, they've been so good in that in that area, but I think if they could be plus one or better, they'll, they'll have a chance to potentially be in the game. And again, I, I thought they had chances to be in the game against UCLA last week, and I think they were disappointed with the way that they played. Obviously a tough task. A, a lot of people tell you this is harder this week in Corvallis than it was at home last week against UCLA. So uh, there's a reason the point spread is where it is. Um, San Diego State's a really prideful program, um, and they're going to go into the game expecting to, to win the game, not just be competitive. So that they need to be plus one or better. And defensively, they can't allow big plays. They allowed some big plays against UCLA. I don't think they can allow those big plays this weekend. Can they stop the run? Traditionally, as good as any team in the country, as good as any team in the country. They didn't have success against it last week against UCLA. They replaced all three. Remember, they played three three five, kind of famous for yeah. it, um, for the better part of the last 20 years. And they graduated all three on that front last year. Some terrific players. Uh, Jonah Tavai, his brother Justice Tavai, Keyshawn Banks. So they're replacing all those players. They're still getting accustomed, I think. They'll be very good by the second half of the year. Brady Hoke has forever been one of the best defensive line coaches in America, and, of course, he's the head coach of the Aztecs. So Aztecs have a good defensive line. It's just not as veteran as it was a year ago. John, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy with your own show. Any questions for me on the Oregon State front? Anything you want to know as you prep for your show? Uh, you know, it's funny. No, I, I would just say this. I mean, they look. I mean, they looked the part, right? Not just offense. I think there's a lot of talk about the offense, but it looks like the defense has been pretty elite the first couple of weeks. Um, they've played a Mountain West foe in San Jose State, which has been a good program the last three or four years. So, I mean, there's there's reason for concern. I think Oregon State is every bit um, every bit what people expect them to be. I guess the one thing people talk about is San Diego is, uh, you know, are they looking past the Aztecs with Washington State on the schedule now? Fair. 
Yeah. But I, I don't know if you're – it's so early in the season. It's just your second game at Racer Stadium this year. San Diego State is not an FCS program. Jonathan Smith is well aware yes. of the Aztec success. So I'd be surprised if there was any, quote-unquote, overlooking going now, on Now, right are now. you coming to the game? Will I see you at the stadium? You will not. I will be doing uh, pregame from San Diego okay. uh, here in our San All right, Diego I'll catch, studios. I'll keep, but say hi I, to Ted, Ted Leitner and Rich Ormberger. I will do that. All right, John, appreciate your time. Thanks, man. I know you have a show to do. Thanks, John. John Schaefer, San Diego Sports 760. Really good stuff there. What's your prediction for Oregon State, San Diego State? How do you see this one unfolding? I want you to tell me. You can weigh in right now. Uh, at 503-417-7575. And what's your prediction on Oregon and Hawaii? Oregon Ducks playing Hawaii at Autzen Stadium. Do you have a call there as well? You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Really good talk with John Schaefer, 760 Sports in San Diego in the last segment. Big Pac-12 weekend coming up. Uh, I'll give my thoughts, picks, predictions on the games as I see them today. Uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll also play Punch It Audio. Uh, in the last segment, Stephen, we we talked with John Schaefer about the San Diego State-Oregon State game. I want to talk a little bit about the Oregon game, and I'll give you our big splash here. But uh, real quick, I, I think Oregon State will run the ball or at least attempt to run the ball down San Diego State's throat uh, on Saturday. I think that's what UCLA had success doing. Of course, Dante Moore had 290 yards, but UCLA ran the ball on San Diego State. I think Oregon State sees that on film. What do you think the key to the game is? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's uh, you. You look at this game, and it reminds me a lot of the San Jose State game. How I feel like Oregon State's game plan is going to be right. Like DJ Uyunglele, when it's there, take your shots. But if it's not, we're just going to give it to Damian Martinez and let the running game go. You know, I think defensively. Oregon State, they've been so good this season, John. And it was one of the questions I had coming into the year is how does that defense replace all those players in the secondary? And Jonathan Smith was on the show yesterday. He was talking about how good they are and how it almost seems like you know they they may be as good as last season. You know, it's early, it's an early talking point, but they are a really good defense. I don't know how San Diego State goes up and down the field on this Oregon State team. Jaden Maiden, the quarterback on San Diego State, threw three picks last week against UCLA. Oregon State has a better defense than UCLA, and that was at San Diego State. I can't imagine that offense, especially with Maiden, that quarterback, is going to go up and down the field at Razor Stadium. So I think that defense is really just going to shut down San Diego State and make it easy for DJU and Damian Martinez in that offense. I think the Oregon game, you know, I don't see either of the Oregon teams losing this week, and I think there are some games like this. A lot of the teams scheduled this way, put a, put their tougher game in Week 2, put an easier game in Week 3. But Oregon's game against Hawaii, Hawaii scored some points this year. Scored some points against Vanderbilt. Scored some points against Stanford. This is a great opportunity for Oregon's defense in the Hawaii game to pitch a, I don't, you know, to pitch a shutout or to pitch a single score game and get some confidence going into the Week Four matchup with Colorado. But I, I kind of think both Oregon and Oregon State are looking a little bit ahead. Oregon State's got a game against Washington State in Pullman in Week 4 that is huge. Oregon's got a game at home against Colorado in Week 4 that is huge. And Colorado cannot afford to look ahead the way Oregon can because Colorado's got to deal with Colorado State, an in-state rival, and you don't want to treat them like they're a Big Sky Conference opponent or uh, a lower-tier opponent. I, but I, I just don't see Hawaii going to Autzen Stadium and having any kind of sustained uh, success. Yeah, I don't either, but uh, you, know, you look at that number, it's a big number, 38 in the in the Vegas market. I think Hawaii actually covers that number plus the 38. 
Uh, I found this interesting, John. I, I looked this up because Hawaii, they've played three games already this season. They played Vanderbilt and Stanford, and you know those are two Power 5 teams. I know that they are probably towards the bottom of right. Power 5 caliber, but in those two games, Vanderbilt and Stan- Stanford only averaged four yards a carry in those games combined mm. on 54 carries. What is the Ducks' weakness on offense? Is that run game? I think Dan Landing and that offense is going to try to get the running game going, but that kind of goes against what Hawaii does good on defense, and that's you know to stop the run. So I do think, we know though the because Vanderbilt run game, Stanford run game. I mean, I'm not going. That's an equivalent to Oregon. Like, have they played somebody who can really run the ball? It, it's not, but I would say it's a more of a more of a comparable point than Portland State against Oregon. Right, and that's when Oregon ran the ball really well against Texas Tech. Oregon did not run the ball very well, so I, I don't know about that offensive line who had to replace a lot of players. And you know, I know Bucky Nervine's really good, but Bo Nix, you talked about this, John. Nix had to run the ball a lot against Texas Tech, yeah, so I didn't like it. I and, didn't like him running the ball. And I don't, I don't think this is a game where Bo Nix is going to run the football. They don't want him to get hurt. They want him to stay healthy, just like against Portland State. No carries against the Vikings. I don't see many carries against Hawaii. I'm not saying Hawaii stays in this game, John. I think they lose by 35, 30 points, but they keep within the number because I'm not sold yet on that Oregon rushing attack. I think that they it's something that they need to improve. And you know, for what it is, Hawaii has faced two Power 5 teams. In the Texas Tech game, Bo Nix threw for 359 yards and two touchdowns, 44 pass attempts. I like that. That was solid. That was really good. That No interceptions, pretty efficient, 32 of 44. 359, two touchdowns, great day for Bo Nix, did everything you could have asked for him. I look at the run game. Leading rusher for Oregon, Bo Nix. Nine carries for 46 yards. It's too many carries and and too much reliance upon Bo Nix. Bucky Irving had 11 carries for 38 yards. Bo Nix had nine for 46, including a 16-yard scamper that was a nice little run from Bo. I would love to see Bo Nix run... Two or three times maximum per game. And I'm not talking about when he's sacked or he tries to get back to the line of scrimmage. I'm talking about when he's rolling out, there's nothing there, he sees some open field in front of him, tucks the ball, runs 15, 8 yards down, 7 yards, 5 yards down the field, and gets out of bounds or slides. And, you know, that's where I want Bo Nix right now if I'm Oregon. I don't want nine carries for 46 yards and, oh, he's your leading rusher. Oregon had 113 team yards rushing. So between Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington and Jordan James, you know, they, they matched Bo Nix, I guess. But yet those three backs have got to do better. And Oregon has to, uh, you know, the Oregon's offensive line, may, may it, the challenge may be there, but Oregon has to commit to trying to run the ball as well. I just thought they got a little pass happy against Texas Tech and got away from who they are. I like the shot down the field in the first drive. I like the shot down the field in the second drive. They connected on it. Uh, I like the way that they're spreading the ball around to a bunch of receivers. Bucky Irving's getting the ball out of the backfield. Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving had 13 combined catches out of the backfield for 110 yards. That's really good. I like that. Tells me that you know there that there's some stuff there, but I don't want Bo Nix running nine times. If you see nine carries. This week against Hawaii, something's gone wrong. You see nine carries against Colorado, something's gone wrong. And I think something went wrong for Oregon in the second and third quarter against Texas Tech. They just they didn't look like Oregon, and there was no creativity on the offensive side of the ball. And it's, it seems to me that this game against Hawaii is going to be a game where Will Stein looks at that and says, we need to get this running game right. We're going to really attack them on the ground. And, again, I, I, it's going to work. Oregon's going to win by a lot of points. 
I just, you know, when you look at the spread, I think that they may slow down the game a little bit. And then Hawaii, Hawaii can put up some numbers as well. They can throw the football around. They're going to get a couple. They're going to get a touchdown or two. So can Oregon get into the 50s to cover that game? I don't know that they can, uh, but it is something to watch. I think going forward, John, is what does that running game do? Was Has the offensive line click week after week? Because they did lose a lot on that offensive line. I think we just assumed because we've seen it all, you know, year after year, this Ducks offense be able to run the football. It just hasn't been there. Uh, last week against Texas Tech and the one big opponent they've played. So going forward, something they're going to have to uh, correct, and I think they're going to try to get that going on Saturday against Hawaii. This week three is interesting because you look around and people are going to tell you, hey, this there's a bunch of not very interesting games in the Pac-12 this week. And I disagree with that. I think there's some really fascinating games, but but maybe not because of the matchup. Like Weber State's at Utah, and I'm really curious to see, like, you know, Kyle Whittingham has said Nate Johnson will start if Cam Rising is not available. But I'm really interested to see, like, will Cam Rising be available? And if he is available, does he just play a series or two and try to use it as an exhibition? Because they don't need Cam Rising to beat Weber State and be 3-0. and So keep an eye on that in the Utah game. We'll get to the picks later. But uh, I think, like, Idaho-Cal is interesting because Idaho is a really good FCS team. They're number 10 in the FCS polls. They beat Nevada last week. They destroyed them 33-6. to they're pretty good. And Cal, you know, come on. Cal, it looks like it's kind of just treading water right now. And so I think that's a really – could be a dicey game for a Pac-12 team, but I still think Cal wins. And then UCLA is interesting, and I don't even want to focus on North Carolina Central. That's their opponent. UCLA is interesting because Chip Kelly told the Los Angeles Times that he still feels like he has three quarterbacks. Okay? You guys know Chip Kelly. You watched him at Oregon. He's got Dante Moore, he's got Colin Schley, he's got Ethan Garbers. And, you know, he says, I've got three quality quarterbacks, I see them every day in practice, and, he, you know, he's is he posturing publicly? Just trying to give everybody a vote of confidence, keep kids from jumping in the transfer portal or maybe psychologically checking out? Or what is he doing there? Because Dante Moore, they, they had 29 passes thrown last week. Dante Moore threw 27 of them. He's the freshman. So it feels like he's the guy, but Chip Kelly won't say it. What's he doing, Stephen? Yeah, I think he's just trying to uh, posture, keep these guys in UCLA as long as possible because, you know, it is Dante Moore's team. He's the future, and I think he's proven he's the present. I mean, we saw in the first game against Coastal Carolina – UCLA wasn't doing anything, and they brought in Dante Moore for a spark, and he was providing that spark for them. I think it's his job. I just think Chip Kelly's trying to keep confidence in these guys because he knows that you need more than one quarterback. You know, especially as a freshman, he may you know try to make an extra run and may get hurt for a little bit, and you need to have a guy like uh, Garbers off the bench that's ready to go. So I think he's just trying to give confidence to everybody on the team. But I think we all know that it's Dante Moore's team right now uh, going going forward. I also think. There's a possibility that Chip Kelly wants the entire team to know that Dante Moore won the job, that he didn't hand it to him. And it may be, like there's been a lot of talk about Dante Moore's recruitment. Oregon was on him, likely to get him. He had committed to Oregon. Kenny Dillingham goes to Arizona State. All of a sudden, Moore reopens his his, uh, recruitment. Bo Nix says he's coming back. Dante Moore flips to UCLA. Like, some people have gone, well, it was Kenny Dillingham that, that you know, he wasn't at Oregon anymore, and so Dante Moore picked UCLA. Others have said, no, 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 it was Bo Nix who, when he said he was coming back to Oregon, Dante Moore wants to play right away, and he said, no way. Did Chip Kelly promise a true freshman that he was going to play? 
Like, I have to wonder, like, you know, but I think Chip, I think you're probably right. I think Chip just wants all three guys mentally, psychologically engaged. I've talked about it on the show. The coaches are coming on the show now, and I'm asking them about their quarterback room, and they're talking about everybody. And, you know, they want to talk about, Jonathan Smith wants to tell us about Aiden Childs, and he wants to tell us about Ben Gulbranson, and he wants to tell us about DJ. And, you know, they, they're very careful in spring, especially when guys can still get in the portal. They're very careful when I ask about a position group, not just Jonathan, but Dan Lanning, you know, everybody. Uh, Kyle uh, Whittingham at Utah, Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. They're all the same. They are all trying to, like, they're like a small community paper trying to get everybody's name in the paper, you know, make everybody's parents happy. So they're, they're, they just kind of give a nod to everybody. Because they don't want to pick somebody, and they don't want to alienate players. Because the players now can jump in the portal and adios. So uh, that, of course, brings us to our big splash. It does also have to do with the quarterback position. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, is it possible that Aaron Rodgers can help the New York Jets by not being on the field? And what I mean by that is he has mentored Zach Wilson, the now starting quarterback of the New York Jets. And Zach Wilson is telling reporters that he is absolutely a better player because of what he's learned from Aaron Rodgers. Said he's copied every little thing he's done, said he's helped his footwork, said he got coaching tips, said he's done an amazing job, more than we could ask for as quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers tore his left Achilles tendon on the fourth play of Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills. He has announced on social media that he is coming back, but the Jets will belong to Zach Wilson this season. Let's see how much better he got learning from Aaron Rodgers. Did he do a darkness retreat? I don't know. In the 4 o'clock hour, we'll talk about Punch and Audio, and Stephen and I are going to lay out our picks. We do not see this the same way. Stay tuned. Hour number two is ahead on the BFT. Jay Norvell, the Colorado State coach, making some waves today as he poked the bear. Is he a genius or an idiot? Nothing in between. Genius or idiot? I, I guess he's trying something. New tactic. Or maybe he's just sick of hearing about Colorado. And maybe his players are sick of hearing about Colorado. I guess we'll find out on Saturday. We'll play that coming up in Punch It Audio. Feels like it should be like a what bugs you segment and then or what's your peeve and jay norvell calls in hey jay in in colorado in fort collins colorado jay calling in jay what's your peeve you know we had to do a bunch of espn videos and that's great i loved it and and uh but our kids came out of those videos really with a chip on their shoulder they're tired of all that stuff they really are tired of it. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off, and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. So, you know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. And so I, that's just how I feel about it. And so I don't mean to take over the show, but it's your show. I'm just tired of <laughs> I mean, I'm tired of all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's, and I know everybody else is too. So, um, let's go play. <laughs> so, what is your peeve? 
Jay Norvell. Sounds like he's mad just in general about Colorado kind of seizing the uh, spotlight and maybe doesn't feel that it's justified. He um, he brought his mom into the equation. I believe Jay Norvell's mother passed away from cancer several years ago. That, I remember that being a story nationally. So you know, I think it'd be really interesting to kind of see what uh, what happens as it pertains to this uh, Colorado State and uh, Colorado football game on Saturday. But Jay Norvell trying to poke the bear a little bit. What do you think? All right, because we know, like, we kind of know what Coach Prime is going to say next week when, you know, he has to play against Oregon. He's going to say it's personal. You know, Dan Landing made it personal. You know, Coach Prime at practice today had his players, like, the chorus giving the it's personal. I'm minding my own business, watching some film, trying to get ready, trying to get out here and be the best coach I could be. And I look up and I read some bull junk that Dan said about us. Talk to us. Once again, uh, talk to why us. would you want to talk about us when we don't talk about nobody? All we do is go out here, work our butts off, and do our job on Saturday. But when they give us ammunition, they done messed around and made it what? It was just going to be a good game. They done messed around and made it personal. It was going to be a great test, a battle of Colorado, but they done messed around and made it personal. Made it personal. So Dan Lanning has made it personal as well, right? Like, that will be the refrain next week. But Jonathan, you know Jonathan Smith's not going to do that. Like, Stephen, what do you think Coach Prime's going to have to say about Oregon State? Because you know Jonathan Smith's going to give him nothing. I, I don't know. That's, that's going to be a tough one because you're right. I mean, Jonathan Smith will say literally nothing bad about Coach Prime and Deion Sanders. I think the one thing will be is I think Coach Prime will just say, well, no one believes in us again because everyone's going to look at that game and see Oregon State, how they run the football that's been Colorado's weakness. I could see that happening where Oregon State, you know, one of the best running games, everyone says, oh, Colorado can't handle the physicality, and then Dion will take it that way, I guess, because there's nothing he's going to get out of the players or out of the coaching staff, so it's going to have to be the media on that game. I also think it depends what happens, obviously, between then and now, because there is, you know, a whole bunch, there are a whole bunch of football games that are going to be played between, uh, you know, the time that we have now and when, Oregon State and Colorado uh, potentially uh, will suit up in Week 10. That'll be November 4th, and that will be uh, in Boulder. And um, I've got that one circled on the calendar. It looks like I might be going to Boulder that week. So I, But, I, again, it just depends how good Colorado is because Colorado's got Colorado State this week, presumably 3-0 and maybe, and then Week 4, at Autzen Stadium against Oregon. But let me ask you this, Stephen. If Colorado State pulls off the upset, because I kind of think, like, had Colorado not beat TCU, weren't 2-0, and didn't have all the hype around them, that the spread on this Colorado State game would be more like 9.5, you know, not sitting where it is today at, in, the, in the 20s, you know, it, it wouldn't be up there. And, and so I kind of wonder, if Colorado State pulls off the upset, how much shine comes off the Oregon-Colorado game in Week 4? I, I See, I think a lot of it does. And I know this has been an argument, talking about people talking about this. Like, is it all? Is, are we going to be talking about Dion all season long? I don't think that we are. I think we're going to stop talking about him as soon as they start losing some games. I don't think it's this week, John, but I agree with you. I think Colorado State can keep it close. But it's the Oregon, it's the USC game. It's how they, you know, how they react to that game. If they're in those games and they keep it close and they lose – 
I think we'll still be talking about Coach Prime in Colorado. If they get blown out, which is fully possible, because Oregon can run it up on you. We know USC can score on anybody. If they're losing by three, four touchdowns in those games, I think a lot of the shine gets taken off. So if they do lose to Colorado State this week, that a lot of the shine will be taken off of next week's game between Oregon and Colorado. But you know Colorado's confident. I mean, they're having all these celebrities coming in. They're not going to bring these people in if they don't think they're going to win. So it will be interesting to see when they start losing. Well, if they start losing, how the shine gets taken off. Because I do think that once they start losing, man, it, it, we'll still talk about it. It'll still be a real interesting story. But we're going to be starting talking about the teams that are actually competing for the college football playoff. I think you were right. I also think... Every week that Colorado wins, Colorado's story gets bigger. They're like a snowball rolling down the hill, and they keep gaining and gaining and gaining. We've got uh, Shiloh Sanders talking to Pat McAfee. We've got Brian Windhorst talking about the NBA and load management. we got Tua saying he's a bad teammate. All of that part of Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Brian Windhorse talking about the NBA's new load management rule. Why is this suddenly a rule? Brian Windhorse pulling back the curtain. He thinks it has to do with the fact that the NBA is negotiating a new TV deal. Punch it. Now that they have the collective bargaining agreement done, which they got done uh, in the spring and summer, they finalized it in the summer, um, they're thinking about the TV deal, if you want the honest assessment. And the, the TV deal, um, when you're trying to sell your wares, even though there is robust interest, they're going to do very well on it, um, you don't want star players sitting out. And so that's what they're focused on. That is a driving factor in why they're enforcing this now. And they're negotiating over this next year um, and saying, hey, they're trying to really sell. I mean, anybody can sell the, the playoff games. Everybody wants in on those. But you're trying to sell Wednesday night games in December and, you know, potentially Friday night games uh, or Thursday night games in, um, in, in February. And if you can't count on your star players to play in those games, their value may be uh, somewhat less. We have uh, bellyached and complained about the role of television and how it's ruining college football. Is it possible that that same villain, TV, could help with the NBA's regular season? And what I mean by that is exactly what Windhorse is saying. They've created the in-season tournaments. They've created uh, you know, the play-in tournament in the playoffs they've now created a barrier or a threshold for competition requiring star players to get their butts in uniform and play in games because they are turning to tv and going we would like to sell you these regular season games and we don't want the negative or the or their, their leverage to be affected by the idea that the regular season games aren't valuable, every bit as valuable as they possibly can be. And so the NBA now requiring players who are stars, at least not the older stars, to be in uniform and play. Really interesting 
tentacle of the TV deal. But don't you just think that the players and the stars are going to figure figure out a new way to miss games if they want to, whether it's just faking an injury or just saying they're hurt. I mean, they're going to figure out something, right? Because the players have already made it clear, like, they have their science that says that it's, it's better for their bodies, and it very well could be. I, I just don't see how the NBA is saying, well, you have to play now. I, I find, like, I feel like the stars of the NBA rule the league, and they're going to figure out a way to get, get out they of it. They do to an extent, but the TV money is important. And, you know, I would argue this, like, there are a lot of people listening to this radio show. Nod your head if you're out there listening. Would you be better off if you could just say to your employer, I can't go today, I need a load management day? I mean, come on. People are nodding right now. Everybody's nodding at that. We'd all be better. We'd all be better with more time off. I, I, do, I think the league is within its right to require players who are not seriously injured to get in uniform and play. And, and part of it is, look, they, they've done they've done. Good things in spacing the games out, avoiding as many back-to-backs as they possibly can. They've listened to the Players Association. They need some help back. And the players know. The players know that their salaries are driven by TV money. They know that. And so I do think, yes, you're going to get some players, especially with the provisions. Like, you know, I was looking, some players who are age 35 and older on opening day, they they are not subject to the new new rules. So some of the older players are going to be able, like LeBron's going to be able to say, I can't go to an extent. But I do think it creates a level of accountability that the league didn't have yesterday. Keep an eye on it. I think it's going to make the game better. Brady Hoke, former Ducks defensive coordinator, now the head coach at San Diego State, says he respects the hell out of Oregon State. Well, he should. He used to work there. Here's Brady Hoke. Punch it. You know, knowing their coaches, because I know uh, they're all O-line coaches, one of the best there is in the country. And uh, uh, the defensive coordinator, I think Trenton's a really good coach. I think Jonathan's a really good coach. I I, I think that the, the investment um, from NIL and from uh, the university itself, when you look at their facilities, I mean, they they – They've done a nice job. They have ramped it up. Brady Hoke was the D-line coach at Oregon State in 1989 through 1994. After that, he went to Michigan, became the head coach at Ball State after that, then San Diego State, then back to Michigan, then the D coordinator at Oregon, then Tennessee, Carolina Panthers, San Diego State. Brady Hoke's seen some stuff. Glad he landed on his feet, but he's in over his head on this one. I think Oregon State is just better, 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 both sides of the ball and at home. Tua Tagliavoa says he was a bad teammate. Why was he a bad teammate? Punch it. I don't know if anyone was driving here early uh, in the morning, but Teron Teron had uh, his car broken down. And I think I'm a bad teammate because I passed him and I didn't come back. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Like, I wasn't going to pull off to the shoulder and just reverse and be like, yo, Duran, I'm coming to get you. Um, But, but yeah, I, you know, I, I seen him, but it was like one of those things. I seen him, but I wasn't sure if it was him. And then uh, I didn't know what he drove to. So it, it was one of those things where I was just like, hey, Drew. I think that was Tehran on the side. Like, oh, yeah, that was him. I was like, well, I'm here already. I can't go back. <laughs> Is he a bad teammate, Stephen? 
Um, no, because I, I he, he, he at least admitted it. I, I, he's not lying, right? I, I think that's what a good teammate is. Like, you can't lie to your players. So now, you know, Teron Armstead knows, like, hey, Tua's not just going to sugarcoat it for me. He, he's going to tell me how he feels. The guy didn't pick me up on the side of the road. I can really trust this guy. I can believe him. So I, I like it. I think it's funny. Uh, Tua, you know, Tua's been, uh, he's been a little bit in the news this whole year. You know, with the concussion thing last year, having a great first week. Against Justin Herbert, I, I like what Tua does. I think he's, I think he's got a good personality. He's really letting it shine now. I just, I'm, cu- I'm curious to see how long he can stay healthy. That's just been the knock on him for a variety of reasons, including the thumb, the concussions. I, I think it's, it's, it's been a hard road for Tua. Let's see what he does here. Todd Blackledge talking about Michigan State and Washington. The Huskies are going to East Lansing, Michigan. Punch it where Michigan State has really struggled, even even a couple years ago when they had the 10 or 11 wins, uh, you know, uh, is defensively and just their ability to stop people. And um, now, so far this year, they've held their first two opponents to just a little bit over 200 yards a game of offense, but they've not played a Power 5 opponent yet. Not only is this their first Power 5 in Washington, but one of the best offenses in all of college football. You know, So they'll have their hands full, and they're going to have to play really well uh, on defense because they. I don't think they're a team that's going to be built to make big comebacks. You know, They've got to keep the game close with Washington at home. Their defense is really going to have to step up, You know, maybe win the turnovers, maybe try to win the special teams in some way. Uh, but if they fall behind Washington and give up explosive plays, I don't know that their offense right now is built to play catch-up. I think they're going to have to play catch-up. It's an interesting game with the Mel Tucker drama going on in the background. Washington has this inability to win on grass fields. They're, they were 0-2 last season. There's definitely something to that. We're going to give our picks coming up, but I do think Michigan State's going to find itself behind in this game, and I don't think they have the firepower on offense to catch back up. We'll talk about it in a bit. Shiloh Sanders talking to Pat McAfee. This comes in the wake of Jay Norvell throwing some shade at Deion Sanders. Here's Shiloh talking about, uh, or I guess he's asking a question. Why does everybody keep talking about Colorado? Punch it. The Matt Rule stuff last week, the uh, TCU offensive coordinator the first week, and then this week the Colorado State coach says, you know what? I would like them to be pissed at us about something too, and goes and talks on your dad in a Why little. Why do they do that? I don't know. <laughs> talking about that. Yeah, I... they, they just make it worse. I know, Shiloh. I know. I, I don't understand it either. We are very confused by it. That is something you obviously all know about and are uh, very aware of whenever it happens. I, I don't get why. We was actually just talking about that. Uh, some of the receivers and my dad was over there, and I overheard them talking about that. And I was like, "What did he say?" And they told me. I was like, bro, why do they do this to themselves every week? <laughs> Coach Brown Coach a cool guy. Like, You don't have to be like that. All right, Shiloh Sanders saying, why do they do this every week? I, I don't think they do every week. I think some of it, like this week, it's, it's overt, right? It's out in the open. We all heard Jay Norvell talk about Coach Prime and, you know, being sick of Colorado. But the Matt Rule stuff was quiet. TCU, no, nobody at TCU was quiet publicly pointing at Colorado and talking trash. Some of this is hammed up from inside the confines of the Colorado operation. It's a lot like Damian Lillard who says, you know, he looks around uh, hoping somebody offends him so he can score 50 on him. 
like, you know, there's a chip on your shoulder and you'd like it to be bigger and you'd like to manufacture uh, uh, a, you know, a, a, a villain and victim relationship. I think Jay Norvell is trying to do the same thing, though. I think he's telling his team, look, you know, we've had enough. Chip's on our shoulder. We're tired of hearing about it and talking about it. So, you know, I, I think it's a really interesting position to be in. If you're Jay Norvell and you're playing against Colorado this week. But I don't for a second believe that everybody's talking about Colorado. I think Colorado is walking around going, it's us against the world, and interpreting every comment that is made as, uh, you know, an attack on their on their very being. I mean, listen to Coach Prime as he talked to his team about it. I'm out of my own business watching some film, trying to get ready, trying to get out here and be the best coach I could be. And I look up and I read some bull junk that Dan said about us. Talk to us. Once again, uh, talk to us. why would you want to talk about us when we don't talk about nobody? All we do is go out here, work our butts up, and do our job on Saturday. But when they give us ammunition, they done messed around and made it what? It was just going to be a good game. They done messed around and made it personal. It was going to be a great test, a battle of Colorado, but they done messed around and made it personal. I mean, I think he's doing a really good job of playing William Wallace, rallying the troops before the battle. But but, it, <laughs> is it, but isn't that like at least half of what college football coaches need to do now, especially head coaches, is motivate and recruit and get your guys going. And it's about the coordinators during the game, right? Like, I feel like Dion, you know, Dion can actually coach a little bit. I think he's a fine coach. But at the same time, I think he knows, like, he has really good coordinators. We've talked about Sean Lewis on the offensive side. Like, he's going to come up with the game plan. Dion's just there to motivate these guys and get them ready. Like, and by doing this, it obviously is working. So, like, I, you know, I want to give Dion credit for taking everything this way and presenting it to his team. Last week, I asked Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, is he a rah-rah pregame speech guy? And he said, no, no, I don't do that. That's somebody somebody else's job. I think there's somebody's job on every staff to jump in there and give the, uh, hey, it's time to you know release the Kraken speech. And at Colorado, it is Coach Prime. At Oregon State, it's not Jonathan Smith. It's somebody on his staff. you got to know who you are. So I, I agree. I think there is probably a role here that is being played. But Colorado's walking around like, you know, we've been victimized. No, they haven't. They're 23 and a half point favorites. They're not victimized. <laughs> You're not the underdog in this game. Colorado State is going, no one believes in us. That's the narrative. Everybody believes in Colorado in this game. And yet Colorado's going to show up going, the world is against us. I mean, I just think that's that's motivation 101. Motivation 101. Good stuff. Punch it audio has been fantastic. Jay Norvell, was he out of line here? Let me just play this again. I want to play this again for people who haven't heard it. You know, we had to do a bunch of ESPN videos, and it was great. I loved it. And and uh, But our kids came out of those videos really with a chip on their shoulder. Okay, I want to stop it right there. Annoyed, why? Why do they have a chip on their shoulder after having to do those videos? Because all ESPN wanted to talk about was what? State of Colorado. Coach Prime, they, you know, state belongs to Colorado. 
the country belongs to Colorado. They're America's team. Everybody's talking about them. Eight million people watched them on Fox last week. Seven point three million in week one. You know, more pe- more eyeballs on Colorado than anybody. So I get it. All right. Second part. Now he gets he gets a little personal. They're tired of all that stuff. They really are tired of it. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. So, you know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. And so I, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. And so I don't mean to take over the show, but it's your show. I'm just tired of I mean, I'm tired of all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's, and I know everybody else is too. So, um, let's go play. All right. You know what it reminded me of? Like, listen to this. Almost to a, uh, to a, a T. That was one of the happiest days of my life, Saturday night. And I, maybe I'm just that shallow. It was a great night to be a duck. And, you know, I don't know about you guys. I was so sick and tired of hearing about the Beavers. And, you know, the Beavers are disadvantaged. And we have all this stuff. And that's nonsense. Football's a game of toughness. It isn't about what color your uniform is. We went out in the field and kicked their ass. That was Pat Kilkenny when he was the athletic director at Oregon in 2008. Tired of hearing about Oregon State. Jay Norvell said he's tired of hearing about Colorado. I think it, it adds some theater to the game. Stephen and I are going to give our picks and our thoughts and our predictions for the week next. I guess we'll figure out if Jay Norvell is genius or idiot uh, by about the second quarter of that game. How long does it take you, Stephen, when you're watching a college football game to figure out who the better team is? Yeah, it's usually about a quarter because I think especially in college football, when home teams especially get going, like they can get hyped up for a quarter, quarter and a half, but a quarter at the minimum, and then uh, they can play really well. Then after that, you kind of see, okay, this team is much better. So I think it's, I think it's gonna be a quarter for Colorado State. That's all they're really gonna get. They gotta keep it close. But uh, I think that they can. I, I think he, I think he's a genius in this one. If I had to vote. All right, we'll uh, keep an eye on it. I, one of the things too is I think sometimes when, sometimes I can tell right away. Like you know, it, with a team like Oregon State or Utah team that relies a lot on running the football and trying to control the line of scrimmage, I can tell after about three series. So I can, usually it's in the first, first quarter. I can tell if Oregon State is going to be able to uh, bloody up the other team or if Utah is going to bloody up the other team. The passing teams are not as easy. And I also think, like, you know, a really underrated component of college football is I think you see greater variances in coaching adjustment than you see in the NFL. Meaning that some coaches just adjust way better than others. And offensive coordinators, play callers, adjust better than the defensive coordinator. And I think you see that often in the third quarter of games. And I I think we saw it in the Oregon-Texas Tech game. I thought Texas Tech made some halftime adjustments. And it took Oregon a little bit uh, into the third and fourth quarter to adjust to it. And Tosh LePoy, the defensive coordinator at Oregon... I think he's got to be better. I think he's got to do a better job on the defensive side for that reason. And so keep an eye on third quarter, fourth quarter adjustments as well. Some of the staffs just do better. Oregon State is one of those staffs. Utah is one of those staffs. I think their coaching staff, they just have a lot more experience. I think they've got guys in there that have seen some stuff. And I think some of the younger coaching staffs that are better, maybe better recruiters, don't quite adjust as well. I want to play this again because so many people are asking me about it. 
I'm going to play Jay Norvell's comment and then Coach Prime's reaction. You know, we had to do a bunch of ESPN videos, and it was great. I loved it. And and uh, But our kids came out of those videos really with a chip on their shoulder. They're tired of all that stuff. They really are tired of it. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught <laughs> So. You know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. And so I, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. And so I don't mean to take over the show, but it's your show. I'm just tired of <laughs> I mean, I'm tired of all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's, and I know everybody else is too. So um, let's go play. Well, look, uh, Jay Norvell, the Colorado State coach there, he said he didn't care if Colorado's going to hear it. Well, they heard it. I'm out of my own business watching some film, trying to get ready, trying to get out of here and be the best coach I could be. And I look up and I read some bull junk that Dan said about us. Talk to us. Once again, uh, talk to why us. would you want to talk about us when we don't talk about nobody? All we do is go out here, work our butts off, and do our job on Saturday. But when they give us ammunition, they done messed around and made it what? It was just going to be a good game. They done messed around and made it. Personal. It was going to be a great test, a battle of Colorado, but they done messed around and made it personal. Made it personal. Like, it has become a personal uh, attack. I need a guy, I need a hype guy like Coach Prime has next to him. Steven, like, can I get a hype guy who say, talk to him? Yeah, talk I feel That would be great, him. like right before the show. <laughs> just get you hyped up. Even during the show. Just sit off to the side. Talk uh, to him. That should be Anna's job. Tell him. You tell him. Um, all right, we're going to give our picks here in this segment. Uh, let's start with that game because it's top of mind. You got the trash talk element to it. A rivalry game in state. Uh, Colorado and Colorado State will be squaring off on 7 o'clock Saturday night on ESPN. The spread on that game is currently Colorado favored by 23-and-a-half. I think uh, the chip-on-the-shoulder thing is a little bit neutralized now with Colorado State talking. Colorado's got some flaws. Nebraska could not effectively exploit those flaws. I don't think Colorado State will be able to either, at least not sustained for four quarters. But this is a Colorado State team that scored 24 points against Washington State in a loss earlier this season. They're not bad on the offensive side of the ball against a pretty good defensive team at Washington State. I think Washington State's better than than uh, Colorado is on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm going to give Colorado State 28 points in this game. Uh, I don't I, I don't think they win, but I think Colorado gets 38, maybe 40. It's not enough to cover. Spread is 23 and a half. So I think uh, I would take Colorado State in the points. I, I agree with you, John. I, I'm going to take the points with Colorado State, and I think Colorado wins this game, but. I think Nebraska kind of showed like how you can slow this team down a little bit. And you got to get pressure on Shador, and I think that's the number one challenge for Colorado State is can you get pressure on Shador? But if you can, you can kind of stop that offense a little bit because when Shador's back there, he can sling it. But if he has pressure, that's when they struggle. I think Colorado State knows that, and they have a quarterback that's not going to just drop the ball like Jeff Sims did in Nebraska. So I think Colorado State can hang in the game for a little bit, and I think they'll uh, cover the 23-and-a-half. Weber State's playing Utah, 11 a.m. Saturday, Pac-12 Network. There's no line on this game. Utes are 2-0. They don't need Cam Rising. Uh, Kyle Whittingham says that Nate Johnson will get the start if Rising's not available. 
Nate Johnson has now won the, I guess, the backup job, and that makes him the starter if Rising's not available. Uh, Utah's going to win this game pretty easily. I have it 42-14, but the question is, will they get Rising some work? Yeah, I, I have that question as well. I think that they will. I think that it's one of those things. It's an NFL preseason game for him. Get him a quarter, get him a couple of drives, and then let Nate Johnson go because Nate Johnson's got some potential, so you want to get him some reps at the quarterback as well. But, if, yeah, Utah can dominate. San Diego State's at Oregon State, 1230. Love the kickoff on FS1. Beavers, as I mentioned, covered the spread in nine straight games, longest streak in the country. They are 13-2 and two against the spread in the last 15 they are favored by 24-and-a-half. As they say in the sports book. the trend is your friend. Oregon State, 42. San Diego State, 14. Yeah, I like Oregon State as well. and I've watched San Diego State play offensively. They are not very good. Defensively, usually they're physical. They're not very physical this year. They're just not. They're a down team. The quarterback, Jalen Maiden, threw three picks against UCLA. I can see Oregon State making some plays on the defensive side, and then Damian Martinez is going to run like crazy. I got Oregon State covering. I actually think in this game, I gave I gave San Diego State 14 points. I actually think it could be lower scoring. Like, it could be a 3 or a 7 for San Diego State if Oregon State's defense uh, plays really well. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 14. 42-14 is my score there. Idaho's at Cal, 1 o'clock Saturday on the Pac-12 Network in the Bay Area. Um, Cal was not impressive last week. Um, I guess they hung in there with Auburn, lost 14-10. The offense just didn't have it. Idaho... Beat Nevada 33-6 last week. 2-0. and The Vandals are 2-0 and for the first time in 25 years. They're ranked number 10 in the FCS coaches poll. Now, Idaho's lost 24 straight to the Pac-12. 24 straight games in the last 23 years. They have not beat a Pac-12 team. My question is, is Jaden Ott going to play? He tried to hurdle an Auburn defender last week, ended up on his back, he left the field by his own volition, but he did not return. He's day-to-day, but if he doesn't play, Cal's offense takes a big hit. I think Cal will struggle a little bit, will not be surprised if Idaho is in this game, but I have Cal winning 24-14. There's no line on the bre- on this game. I think Cal wins easily, and I, I would say three, three to four scores. I, I think this Cal team is better um, than we thought coming into the season. They should have beat Auburn in that game. I think they're going to come out and kind of take it out on Idaho, where they're going to out-talent them. I know Idaho's a good FCS team, but even without Jaden Ott, you know, whatever they're doing at quarterback, I think Cal's going to be able to put up some points. They put up 50-plus on North Texas. I think they can do the same thing to Idaho. I, I would take Cal winning by three to four scores. North Carolina Central's at UCLA, 2 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Chip Kelly's going to not going to name a starter. There's no line in this game. I think UCLA's better. I don't think UCLA's in this to embarrass anybody. It's, it's kind of Chip's M.O. He'll win this one like 38-14. North Carolina Central, uh, not a not a real threat here to beat UCLA. Yeah, very vanilla game plan out of Chip this week. It'll be interesting to see. He talks about the quarterbacks. This is a game where he gets all three quarterbacks in there, trying to build up their confidence a little bit. So I think that's what I'll be watching for. But, yeah, UCLA dominates this game. Northern Colorado goes to Washington State, 2 o'clock. On Saturday, Pac-12 Network. The Cougars are ranked. They're riding high. They're playing good football. They might be tempted to peek a little ahead to Week 4. They open at home against Oregon State uh, in conference play. But this is not a trap game. Washington State's offense looks good. I think the Cougars will keep telling the world they belong in the Power 5. I think they're going to blast Northern Colorado. I have it 56-3. to 
Yeah, we talk about the quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Cam Ward's kind of the forgotten guy, and he's been really good this season against Colorado State and Wisconsin. I mean, there it could be at the end of the season we're looking up, and he's a top-five quarterback in the Pac-12. That, that's how good that guy is. So I think Washington State gets it done, but you're right. Peak ahead spot to the Oregon State game next week, coming off a big win against Wisconsin. It's a real letdown spot, but I don't think Washington State does that. I think they control this one. Moving on. Washington's at Michigan State, 2 o'clock Saturday, streaming on Peacock. Will people watch it? It's streaming. Uh, great theater in this game. Spartans coach Mel Tucker suspended without pay. He's uh, stuck in this embarrassing and disappointing sexual harassment investigation. His team is facing the number eight team in the country. Huskies have not been good on grass, though, okay? They lost both games they played on grass last season. The research team took a look at the performance of Washington when they play on natural grass cause at Stanford, so Stanford's got natural grass. And it's really interesting to look at the like the last eight times they've played at Stanford. They only have one win. It it kind of paints this interesting picture of like a team that doesn't have a grass practice field struggling to play games on grass. Now, Kalen DeBoer did a smart thing. He took his team out. He got them on a grass field at a nearby high school. So it'll be interesting to see if his team will acclimate better. But I think that's a really weird thing that's going on and. I just think Washington's going to run away from Michigan State. I think they're tired of hearing about the grass, and I think the Mel Tucker thing is a tremendous distraction. I have it. Washington's favored by 16. I think they cover the 16. 35-17, Washington. I disagree with you on this one, John. I think Michigan State keeps this game close, potentially even win this game. Um, I, we've seen this before where teams rally around these type of you know coaching you know, there's just the the unquestioned like there's so many questions with the program. We've seen teams rally around it, right? And and you look at Washington defensively, they're still struggling. Even though they've beaten Boise State 56-19, they beat Tulsa 43-10. John, they're giving up the 85th most rushing yards per game, 88 in yards per rush on the defensive side. They're not a good defensive team up front. I think Michigan State can take the, you know uh, take the air out of the ball. They can run the football on that grass. It's going to slow down Washington just a bit. I think Michigan State can hang in this game, and then you know what? When you're you know on the road at a Big Ten school, at the end of the game, and it's a one-score game, I think that's where they could run into some trouble. I think Michigan State keeps it close. I think Washington wins, but just slightly. I think they win by one score, but I, I think Michigan State's right in this ball game has a chance to actually win. Keep an eye on how long the grass is when they kick off. Also. I'm just wondering if Michael Penix Jr. can get two scores up on Michigan State, what they're going to do. They're just not built uh, to to score big and, and, and play that kind of back-and-forth game. Hawaii's at Oregon, 5 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Oregon showed a lot of resilience last week, came from behind to beat Texas Tech. Um, I'm nitpicking Oregon because I have high expectations for the Ducks. But, um, look, this is, uh, this is an easy one for Oregon. They're favored by 37 and a half. Uh, they are uh, they are going to be win this game like fifty six to fourteen. I think it's a real opportunity for Oregon's defense to feel really good about itself, Oregon's offense to feel really good about itself, and for Dan Lanning to start preparing for Colorado in Week Four. He's allowed to peek ahead. Hawaii's not good. Yeah, it's going to be a peak head spot, but I think because of that, I think Hawaii can cover the number. I think Hawaii keeps it closer than the 37 and 38 points. Oregon's still going to dominate this game. Win in the 30s. I have it 49-14, 35-point win, but Hawaii, I think they can move the ball just enough, and I do think the Oregon offense, you talk about the running game. You've been very nitpicky about it, John. You're the one saying this. 
That rushing attack hasn't been very good this year for Oregon, and that's the one thing Hawaii's defense has done solidly this season, even against two weaker Power 5 opponents in Vanderbilt and Stanford. Like, I know this is a different animal, but they've at least faced this type of uh, level of play. They actually did decent against the run. I think Oregon struggles a little bit running the football. They're still going to get 49 points, so how much are they really struggling? But I think Hawaii stays within the number, and I think we're going to have even more questions going to that Colorado game. Like, how is Oregon going to keep up scoring attack with Colorado? I think that's going to be the real question. Look, last week, Texas Tech's defense had all kinds of penetration into the backfield. They were in the Oregon backfield all game. Defensive tackles, defensive ends, linebackers. Bo Nix was running. I mean, you know, pay attention to Oregon's offensive line. They cannot allow Hawaii to get that same kind of penetration against them. And I I expect it to be a cleaner game because I just don't think Hawaii's got the athletes that Texas Tech had on the defensive line. I don't know if Colorado does either in week four, but I would like to see Oregon's offensive line play a game where the defense isn't in the backfield. You know, and and Texas Tech did a great job of that. They disrupted Oregon at the point of attack. It caused Bo Nix some problems. It caused the run game some problems. And, you know, we we you got to be able to see uh, Oregon hold off Hawaii in that way. Because Hawaii, Hawaii, to me, is a very mediocre Mountain West-type conference team. Oregon should boat race them. Sacramento State at Stanford, 5 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Bay Area. Troy Taylor, now the coach at Stanford, used to be at Sac State, facing his former team. This is kind of a cool little matchup. Uh, You know, Sac State will drive to the game. They'll bust to the game. They won't fly. They're that close. And uh, the Cardinal, by the way, are finally playing a home game. This is their last team in the Pac-12 to get their first home game. So uh, the Cardinal will get the home game. Troy Taylor will get to see his old team, but Stanford's going to win this by double digits. And I will not be surprised again if Sacramento State finds a way to be in this game early or be close at halftime. But I think Stanford wins 31-21. Um, I think Stanford's going to you know, blow them. I think they put it on him a little bit. I, watching Stanford this season, again, I don't, they're not a great team, but I think they're better than the lower-tier teams. And you know, Sacramento State... Good program, led by Troy Taylor last year, like you said. But I think Troy Taylor has a little bit. Of, you know, talk about games being personal. This one might be a little personal for Troy Taylor going against his old team. I think he uh, salty. Will it be salty? It'll be a little salty for Troy Taylor. So I think he uh, gets him, and then win. You know, three, four scores. I think it'll be a pretty easy win for Stanford. We mentioned Colorado State at Colorado, but we're going to move on to Fresno State at Arizona State. Weird game. Uh, Seven thirty Saturday, FS1. Jeff Tedford, really good coach. Stanford fly, um, excuse me, Fresno State flies around for these games. When they get a Power 5 opponent, they fly around. The Bulldogs are 4-4 in their last eight games against the Pac-12. They have a win over Purdue already earlier this season. They barely got by Eastern Washington last week. So what do you do with Fresno State? I'll tell you what you do. You, You recognize that Fresno State has players that play up when they get a Power 5 opponent. That's what happened in the first two games of the season. Arizona State's not impressive. They are the perfect patsy for Fresno State. I will not be shocked that would the Bulldogs win this game and cover the three points. They're a three-point favorite. I have it. Fresno State 34, Arizona State 24, and Fresno State will run around like they were the underdog after the game. I'm going to take Arizona State out of the money line. I think they win this game outright on the field. You know what? I know Arizona State didn't beat Oklahoma State last week, but they were in that game for the entire ball game up until the fourth quarter at the very end. Kind of got away from them, but they were in that game. It was a four-quarter game, so I like that. I think Jaden Rashad is going to take steps forward as he is a really talented quarterback. 
I know Fresno State beat Purdue already in week one, but they had all offseason to prepare for that. I think, you know, now that they see Arizona State, it's going to be a little different. I think Arizona State, you know, and Kenny Dillingham, he's going to get those guys motivated enough to get that win. I think as they get into conference season, that's when they might start, you know, fading a little bit because they can't make a bowl game. But right now, still, still motivated for the start of the year. I think Arizona State stays home and beats Fresno State. UTEP is at Arizona. 8 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Final game of the Pac-12 weekend. Uh, Jaden Delora, he threw four picks last week against Mississippi State. It's the third time in the last two seasons that he's had three or more interceptions in a game. Uh, if you look at Arizona's turnover margin, they have had seven turnovers in two games. It's the most through the first two games of a season by an FCS program since 1996. That's seven turnovers the first two weeks. Now, you remember, Jed Fish came on this show, the coach at Arizona, on media day, and he said, we need to take better care of the ball. And then his team went out, and he ended up, uh, they ended up uh, throwing and fumbling and just just bobbling away the first two games of the season. Like, there's no secret here, you know? The, uh, the, the mistress that Arizona is dealing with is the turnover margin. So you got to get rid of that, and you got to clean up your game. And Jaden Delora, this is the perfect game to do it against. Arizona against UTEP. Arizona's favored by 17.5. You need a clean game by Arizona. 41-14 over UTEP, I think. I'll take uh, I'll take the points with UTEP. They can run the football a little bit to slow it down. And maybe Jaden Delora is a maybe I'm overrating him a little bit. I, I always think he's really good, but he's done this his entire career. He's turned the ball over a lot. Maybe that's just who he is. And Jed Fish needs to recognize that and maybe call some different plays for him and uh, get him where he's not making a lot of turnovers. I think he may turn the ball over a couple times, and UTEP stays within the numbers, keeps it uh, someone close. Dirty little secret. Jed Fish has got Jaden Delora. He knows he's the best playmaker he's got. But I kind of wonder at what point, if this keeps up, if it's three interceptions here or four interceptions there, I kind of wonder at what point Jedfish either goes, hey, we need to get back, we need to run the football, or we need to try something else at quarterback. And I think Delora is a great playmaker, but I think he's up against it right now. I think Jedfish has to be pulling his hair out because he said that on media day. He said, I need that guy to take better care of the ball. Here they are, seven turnovers for the first two games and three picks last week against Mississippi State. And this is the third time that, that Dolores had three picks or more in a game in the last two seasons. It, that cannot continue. Leave it here. You get the BFT statewide. I wasn't kidding about the turnovers in Arizona. I had a, uh, I had a writing coach and an editor one time tell me that journalism – and this uh, job as a sports writer could be an unforgiving mistress. I always think of them in terms of what is the downside of an offense, right? What is the downfall? Well, it's a quarterback who scatters the ball around the field, throwing it too often to the other team. Uh, unforgiving. Turnovers, unforgiving. Uh, you talk to coaches, the first thing they look at is on the stat sheet. They'll look at the turnover margin. They'll see how many more possessions that gave the opponent versus what they had. Um, you know, I think Jed Fish in Arizona, keep an eye on that. And, of course, keep an eye on it all season. Last season, USC had a uh, plus-22 turnover margin. That was phenomenal. Led the country. See who uh, ends up leading the country this year or who ends up leading the conference. Coming up, we'll have the 5 at 5. Steven's going to provide it. And uh, then we've got Thursday night football ahead. 
I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. Thursday night football is ahead. Philadelphia Eagles fans giving it to the Minnesota Vikings fans on their way into the stadium. I don't understand that. All of the uh, all of the fights that you see inside the stadium, saw some brutal fights. You know? Look, I don't want to be like one of these anal retentive people who will say, you know, everybody needs to stay in their section and uh, we should have no... Uh, bad feelings at the stadium and everybody please sit down during the game no 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 no. i want people to be excited at football games i want them to lose their minds and root and cheer and it should be an adrenaline rush you know like you're literally watching your team on the field perform and you're paying big money for those tickets root like hell stand up i don't care if you never sit down but you shouldn't be punching each other you're like like you're the heavyweight champ. You're not the champ, okay? Stop throwing punches if you're at NFL football games. It's stupid. It's dumb. You're not the champ. Sit down. Or stand up and cheer, but don't throw punches. I don't understand it. It's alcohol, I'm sure. Some of it. But there's just some mentality. I was during a commercial break, I was watching some of the videos. That fans like like Minnesota Vikings fans are posting. They're walking into the stadium in Philadelphia for tonight's Thursday night football game, and they're getting like double birds, people yelling profanity at him, people showering him with beer. Like I don't, like really, come on. That's that's not what it's about, and and you shouldn't be throwing punches at football games. Ban them for life. You're not the champ. All right, we're gonna do the five at five. Stephen, are you ready? Let's go. Let's do it. The Five at Five. The Uh, number one story, Stephen, you got. I do. All right, John, here we go. Jay Norvell, we've been talking about it, but he's poking the bear coming into this week. College game day is at Colorado for the Colorado-Colorado State game, but he made it personal with Coach Prime today on Jay Norvell's Coach's radio show. He took some shots at Prime by saying he takes his glasses and his hat off when he talks to adults. That's what his mom taught him. Dion pokes back, responded that this game is now personal. 23 and a half point spread, John, but uh, this little rivalry makes it a little more intriguing for the game. Really intriguing. Be curious to see if he has success. And I'll be curious to see if it gets copied. Like if Colorado State disrupts Colorado and distracts Colorado, will Dan Lanning take a page next week? Number two story. Go. Nick Saban. Alabama coach, he is addressing retirement rumors because after Alabama lost to Texas last week, uh, there's some people that said maybe Nick Saban he's done. Maybe Alabama's done, their dynasty's done, but Saban on the Pat McAfee show said, quote, it's kind of laughable. I would ask you, when's the first time you heard that I was going to retire? That started about five years ago, end quote. So it looks like Saban's not going anywhere anytime soon. Saban did sign an eight-year contract back in 2022 worth $93.6 million, which will make him the coach of Alabama through 2030. Looks like Saban's going to be around for a while. Not going to give in to the uh, to the fans that want him out because they lose one game. I, look, I think it's interesting. The money's there. He's got a huge contract. He's had a lot of success, national championships, all of that. But Nick Saban is one of those people that strikes me as a guy who, who doesn't know how to do anything else but coach football. Like, he needs it. As much as Alabama at different times has needed him. And the fans, look, Get back to me when he loses three, you know, like four. 
You know, then we can start talking about he's got to go. But he's got a really good job. He's done a nice job, and he gets a wide berth because of it. Number three. Yeah, one loss to Texas, and everyone's got it. seems a little crazy. But uh, number three, Major League Baseball, John, they're trying something new here. It's going to be on September 20th. They've announced that they will host their first ever regular season game at a virtual ballpark when the Rays take on the Angels. So what that means is the virtual ballpark, they debuted it earlier this year during the Celebrity Softball game. It allows fans to enter a virtual world that features a three-dimensional representation of the gameplay. Fans will be able to watch the virtual action from any angle in the park, interact with one another throughout the game, and explore the park while playing trivia and participating in scavenger hunts. Now, it will be they use Game Day 3D and StatCast technology to recreate the live action in the virtual ballpark. But fans wanting to keep an eye on the actual game, the live broadcast. Yeah, the, yeah. what about the game? You can actually do that <laughs> in the virtual ballpark. You can watch the live broadcast. If you uh, look at the video board of the virtual bro- virtual park, you can watch Brother. the live broadcast. But it'll be on TV, but they're trying this out. They say it's going to be helping to connect fans. Young fans. Talk, yes, younger fans and uh, be able to talk throughout the games. 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old fans are going to love it. So I assume you're not going to be joining in on the virtual 43, ballpark. 43, 45, 57-year-olds, they're going to be like, what's wrong with watching the game? I thought we were going to catch a ball game together, John. Where are we going to sit? <laughs> I don't know. I don't play. I'll see you there. Log on. Yeah. And I'll see you behind home uh, plate. My connection's slow. I can't see you. Number four. Uh, there's going to be some history in the NFL tomorrow when the Rams take on your 49ers, John. Matthew Stafford. It's, it'll be the first time that a quarterback taken number one overall, which would be Matthew Stafford, is faces off against a quarterback taken last in the draft, which will be Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. So prior to the 2022 draft, and Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant taken with the last pick. Uh, there has only been five. All right, let me let me restart this here. There's been five quarterbacks that have been taken with the last pick since 1976 up until 2022. Four of them never took a snap in the NFL. The only one that did was Chad Kelly back in 2017, who took one snap with the Broncos. So this will be the first time ever the number one overall pick will take on the last pick in an NFL draft. I love it. It's cool. What do you make of it? Who's a better quarterback right now, Matthew Stafford or Brock Purdy? For their, for the, I think they're with the right respective teams for what they do. I think if you put Brock Purdy in a different scheme – he might not look that great. But it, but what the 49ers ask of him and the, their ability to run the football, I think he's right for it. But really, that's a that's a really cool distinction. That's never happened? Never happened. Four, I mean, there's only been five quarterbacks drafted with the final pick, and four of them never played in the NFL. So uh, very interesting that Brock Purdy's actually had the success. Of course, we know Brock Purdy's 6-0 and so far in his career. Love it. Niners going to roll. Seems but, like, seems like that, a homework. We got one more? Is that five? That's four. Five. I got one more five. for you. There's number five. five. Thursday night football, John. You knew this is coming. Vikings at Eagles tonight on Amazon Prime and in the Portland area on 750 The Game. Keep it locked in here. Eagles are going to be without Kenneth Gainwell, starting running back, cornerback James Bradbury, safety, Reed Blankenship. They've all been ruled out of the game. Eagles are six-point home favorites. John, Kanzano, who you got in this one? Um, Minnesota. Eagles have a bunch of players out, even though they're home. I didn't like the way the Chiefs looked in their big national debut last Thursday night. Was that last Thursday night? It was, yeah. It seems like so long ago. It, so you have the others, the NFC representative playing tonight. So uh, there you go. 
I will uh I'll look forward to Minnesota dominating Philadelphia. There you have it. Um and that is the five at five. What was your favorite of the five at five? The did you was it the number one story, the your favorite one or yeah, something else? Jay Norvell, I, I love this story. I love that Jay Norvell goes after Dion. Makes it he makes it personal by saying that's how my mom taught me. Like Dion was raised wrong and he's doing it the wrong way. I just I love the whole story. I think Jay Norvell, you know, he may look like a fool at the end of the week. Like I'm very willing to admit that maybe this was the wrong decision. But right now, like I think he's a genius. I think he's taking pressure off of his team. He's putting it all on himself. And these Colorado State guys are now saying, look, man, we're going to play for our coach. Our coach cares about us. We're going to care about him, and they're going to go out and play hard. I, I'm excited to watch this game now, John. It's like going into the week, you see college game days at the Colorado, Colorado State games. Like, eh, whatever. But now they've built in some uh, in- intrigue for me. I'm, I can't wait to watch this one. I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited that it's got a little bit of a pay-per-view feel to it, doesn't it? Like just the added drama of Norvell talking and then Coach Prime responding. And, you know, he's always going to take whatever is available to him. He's masterful at this, Coach Prime is, at taking whatever's available to him and turning it into his advantage. And so his kids even are channeling it. When Shiloh was doing that interview, talking to Pat McAfee, he was like, "Why? I don't understand why people do this. They just make it worse for themselves. Like, they take everything and they spin it and fashion it in an advantage for themselves. I think we could all learn from that a little bit, from what Coach Prime is doing there. But uh, it'll be fun to see what happens with Jay Norvell in Colorado State. All right, tomorrow, big Friday show. We're going to get a visit tomorrow uh, from, uh, obviously, uh, Anthony Gold, our wide receiver uh, connection at uh, Oregon State, who joins us every week, he will be with us tomorrow to talk about um, uh, to talk about uh, their game coming up this weekend. Um, I uh, I also think that tomorrow on the show we should uh, maybe take a visit with Hawaii and find out what they're about, or maybe we go to Boulder to uh, to to figure out what is going to happen with Colorado State and Colorado. Uh, all of that to head on tomorrow's show. Coming up next right here in Portland on 750 The Game, it is Thursday Night Football, the Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and I think it should be a fun game. So stay tuned for that one. We're back tomorrow with another great radio show.